You can't beat the sound of a contented cat. That's why veterinary surgeon and natural pet food pioneer John Burns developed Burns Pet Nutrition. Because he knows the positive impact a natural diet has on our beloved pets. And our premium cat food is designed to satisfy even the most finicky eaters. For natural, no nasty, wholesome recipes, choose Burns Pet Nutrition. Available from veterinary clinics and all good pet shops across Ireland. Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom. Like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, right? For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. Queen Elizabeth II has died. A few moments ago, Buckingham Palace announced the death of Her Majesty Queen Elizabeth II. The palace has just issued uh, this statement. It says the Queen died peacefully at Balmoral this afternoon. She was 96 and had been on the throne for 70 years. I declare before you all that my whole life, whether it be long or short, shall be devoted to your service and to the service of our great imperial family to which we all belong. She's been succeeded as monarch by her eldest son Charles, now King Charles III. The King and the Queen Consort will remain at Balmoral this evening and will return to London tomorrow. People throughout the UK are in mourning for the Queen, whose popularity always remained above the fortunes of her family. Well known, just one Queen. She, she's, she's the person we've always looked up to. She pledged her life to this country and she led in this country with great reverence. She's always been such a reliable figure in my life. Today on The Bell Tale, we're joined by our Northern Ireland editor, Sam McBride, to talk about the reaction to this tumultuous news here in Northern Ireland. We'll also be speaking to Belfast reporter Andrew Madden in London. Sam, what has been the initial reaction to the Queen's death here in Northern Ireland? I think the word which overwhelmingly sums up the reaction in Northern Ireland is respectful. The Queen is being mourned more deeply, obviously, by some people in Northern Ireland and in Ireland as a whole than by others. But even some who do not identify with the monarchy in any way, some people who want to see its demise, some people who want to see the end of any British role on the island of Ireland completely um, still recognise either that they feel some sense of loss themselves, or I think for more of those people, that they recognise that lots of their neighbours, their unionist neighbours or um, people who have different views to them, do feel this quite keenly. And so there has been an exhibition, I think, of considerable respect. We've seen some sectarian um, taunting of unionists, taunting of people who love the royal family online. We've seen that in Britain as well as in Ireland. But I think it's been at the fringes of, of our society here in Northern Ireland. It does not appear from what I've seen to be to be judged acceptable by the bulk of people in Ireland, um, even if they do not have any personal affinity with the monarchy to express anything but understanding at their neighbour's sense of loss. And I think um, there 
there is a sense here that the queen was 96. She had been in failing health. Um, it was known that um, that that she had wanted to come to Northern Ireland to Armagh for the centenary service last year. That was the point at which her ill health became clear when she pulled out of that at short notice. Her Majesty said to have reluctantly cancelled a trip to Northern Ireland. Are you well? Thank you very much. I'm still alive. Nice to see you again. It's been five years since she's been there and this was going to be a significant visit with her due to attend a service marking the centenary of the partition of Ireland and the formation of Northern Ireland. So it was known that this day would arrive and yet a monarch who has reigned for 70 years becomes something of an immovable object I think in the eyes of most of the people um, in the UK and in other um, countries around the world who, who knew and respected her and it, it was said when Queen Victoria died that um, the people who were around her in the royal household struggled to find people who could recall what to do, the practical things to do on the death of a sovereign. She had been all that they had ever known and this monarch has reigned longer than than even Victoria, and so therefore she has come to embody the monarchy to really an unparalleled extent. And as you said, like many Irish nationalists, Republicans, socialists wouldn't share the sentiments felt uh, by unionists, uh, especially. But in general, things have been respectful, and there's been solemn respect from mainstream nationalists. That's right. Um, we we had um, the former Sinn Féin MLA Daffy Mackay writing in the Belfast Telegraph that nationalists, when they looked at the Queen, particularly over recent years, as the as the peace process became embedded, as she was involved in several of those very symbolic moments of recognition um, and reconciliation between Ireland and Britain, um, and and between the peoples of Ireland and the the people of uh, of uh, Britain, that there was a sense that she was being genuine and respectful in how she presided over those moments. That she went beyond the perfunctory. She went beyond what she simply had to do and beyond what was seemly for someone in her position. And she did it with a degree of personal feeling. And um, what, what Daffy Mackay said was that as a firm Republican, as somebody who doesn't support the monarchy, as somebody who doesn't support Northern Ireland remaining within the UK, he believes that the Queen is somebody who didn't put a foot wrong in her dealings on this side of the Irish Sea. And that, that really is high praise when you consider that um, this is a Queen who the IRA and who other Republicans tried to assassinate on several occasions. And um, this is somebody who was the symbolic commander of British forces in Ireland. And um, this, this is somebody who um, has won that respect through how she conducted herself, particularly on this island. And we, we've seen from Colm Eastwood, the leader of the SDL, We've seen from, from Sinn Féin's Michelle O'Neill similar expressions of very sincere condolence. We've seen that from the Catholic Church in Ireland. We've seen that from the Taoiseach. We've seen that from the Irish president. Um, and we've seen very visible um, and very tangible signs of how Ireland is reacting to this with flags on um, public buildings in Dublin flying at half-mast. That is what happened when the Queen's father died. Um, so there is some precedent for that, but it's still a, a, a symbol of how these two um, nations, which once were obviously bitterly, um, bitterly opposed to each other, which um, literally um, there, there was there was animosity to the point of bloodshed, that has gone under the Queen's reign. In a way, I didn't have an apprenticeship. My father died much too young, and so it was all a very sudden kind of taking on and making the best job you can. 
it's a question of accepting the fact that here you are and, and it's your fate. Now, leaving nationalist Ireland uh, aside, um, and even perhaps leaving politics aside, this is a massive event um, for unionists. Her Majesty the Queen has been a steadfast and unshakable head of state for the United Kingdom and the Commonwealth. Her gracious approach has been a constant throughout our lives. Today, we mourn Her Majesty's death, but we do so with tremendous honour for one who served God and her people faithfully. Her Majesty led by example in Northern Ireland and reached out the hand of friendship to help with the reconciliation process. We are duty-bound to build on those foundations. It is, for most Unionists in Northern Ireland, the news of the passing of this sovereign in particular is cause for deep sadness. I think that's true probably of all monarchs who have died, Unionists in, in Northern Ireland as it now is and in Ireland as it, as it then was before 1921, felt a particular affinity to the sovereign. They, they felt a particular um, tie to the symbol of Britain um, as embodied in the monarch. But this was a queen for whom Unionists in common with, I suppose, their fellow country people in other parts of the UK felt a particular bond, a particular love. Um, the late queen was someone in whom Unionists in Northern Ireland took the deepest pride. And I think that's striking because her values were often considerably more liberal, um, more accommodating than the dominant strain of Unionist thinking at any one point. If you look at some of the symbols which the Queen um, was, was very significantly involved in, she met the Pope at a point where that was being denounced by Unionists like Ian Paisley in, in Northern Ireland. That was seen as something which in religious terms was unacceptable to people like him. Um, she was also someone who obviously spoke Irish um, only a few words, but it was the symbolic um, the uh, the clearly symbolic respect that she showed as a guest of the Irish government. Argus And that was at a point where the Irish language was very controversial with lots of unionists in Northern Ireland. It was not the Queen um, wading into politics in a um, forthright fashion. It was not her saying, you're wrong to oppose an Irish language act but it was a clear nod to the acceptability of being respectful towards the Irish language, saying this is something that is compatible with unionism. And so therefore, I think there is not just being mourned here, someone who was personally loved by unionists, um, even though their um, feelings of sorrow towards, um, towards her passing are absolutely sincere, but really what is being laid to rest here with Queen Elizabeth II is an era of stability, relative stability, within the UK, um, a way of life, and really a country, not just in Northern Ireland, but across the entire United Kingdom, which has departed never to return. And she was no stranger to Northern Ireland. She visited many times, clearly, and she was enthusiastically welcomed by many people here. And as you say, some of those visits if not political, had huge symbolism. I'm thinking about the Martin McGuinness um, handshake in the Lyric Theatre as just one example. 
it's it's one of those iconic moments of recent times in Irish history and British history. And the Queen's affection for Ireland seems to have been really quite deep. It's difficult with a monarch who is a constitutional monarch, who doesn't give their own opinions, who isn't meant to give their own opinions, to really perceive what is going on. What What is she just doing on behalf of her government? What is she doing on the advice of her courtiers? And what is she doing with real feeling because she believes in it? And there was a, there was a rare glimpse into her views on Ireland when she left um, Ireland after that really historic state visit, first state visit by a British monarch monarch after partition to the south of Ireland. And she said to the then Taoiseach Enda Kenny as he escorted her to the steps of her flight in Cork, that of all her state events in her very long reign, this is the one she said that I've really wanted to do. And that was in, that was reinforced on multiple occasions, not just in some of the words that she said, either publicly or privately to people, but in the emphasis that she put on these gestures, the way she did things, the manner of her of her words and the way that she conducted herself. She was someone who had insisted on coming to Northern Ireland against advice, against government advice at the height of the Troubles in 1977. She narrowly escaped a bomb in Korean University. And by that point, she had already escaped a block which had been hurled at her car in Belfast in 1966. Really an isolated incident by a single Republican, but a very clear personal decision by the monarch to keep coming here during the Troubles, during a period where she knew she was personally under threat because this was something that she thought was her duty. And Sam, many of us who have worked in the media for many years would have recognised yesterday that uh, a huge operation of government was swinging into action, Operation London Bridge, and we would have recognised that what the BBC, for example, were preparing to do, and at a certain stage, it would have been recognised, at least by journalists, that, that the Queen had in fact passed away. And this is a huge operation that has been planned for many years, etc. Uh, I, I understand the Northern Ireland part of this uh, operation is known as Operation Shamrock. Can you take us through what we can expect to happen now? Well, really, the seat of um, these events now will be Hillsborough or Royal Hillsborough, as it is now officially termed. And that is where we can expect King Charles to visit Northern Ireland um, early next week, probably. He will tour the UK. He will seek to, I think, project that he is not just mourning with his people across the entire country rather than being cloistered and aloof in London, but he is getting out there and showing that he is the king. The queen is dead, but the king is very much alive. One of the great cliches of monarchy is are, are the words, the, king is, the king is dead, long live the king. But yesterday when the queen's life ended, the words, the queen is dead, long live the king, would have been pronounced at her bedside. Prince Charles, as he had been until that point, would have received symbolic reverence from his relatives who were also gathered at that bed. And even though that act might seem quite quaint, um, might seem really absurd to some people um, and to people who don't respect monarchy in particular. There is contained in that the certainty of the succession. Um, there is the adherence to traditions which ensure that there will be the orderly and peaceful transfer of power. It was not always thus within the UK and even today there are countries where a leader's passing, um, either through death or through being ejected from office, 
is not met with the certainty that they will um, be, that they will be succeeded by somebody peacefully and or in an in an orderly way. There are many imperfections to monarchy. In many ways, it is indefensible in a logical basis in a modern society to say that we don't choose our ruler, that somebody who is born to the palace simply rules over us, whether they are um, good at that or whether they are bad at that. But the peace that we now enjoy across the entire UK is something which is founded in some of these archaic symbolic actions which we're going to see over coming days. Those are what mean that any serious dispute about who rules us, um, even in a symbolic sense, in a constitutional monarchy, are now unthinkable. Some people might be surprised, you know, if they weren't aware of these constitutional questions that for King Charles, now these coming days are actually going to be very busy days. He has roles, he has responsibilities, he has to carry out these duties. So it's not a matter of, of private mourning, as you say, and he will visit the four corners of the United Kingdom. Uh, what can we expect from King Charles? He's to make a statement this evening. He's no stranger to hear either. No, and Prince Charles obviously has himself taken part in significant acts of reconciliation in Ireland, in Northern Ireland. Um, he is someone who um, was very much at the Queen's side in a way that Prince William, for instance, as a, as a more junior member of the family, was not in some of those big moments and has has visited himself. That, that visit to Mullock Moor, where Lord Mountbatten was murdered, for instance, was a very significant moment for him. And so we, we will see him address the entire UK this evening. Um, we, we will see him then um, in Northern Ireland, in Scotland, in Wales and in England. Um, and I think that he will be aware that he is going to face questions which his mother did not face or did not face very loudly. There are a few people these days in the way that many people did in 1952 when the Queen came to the throne who believe that God has divinely chosen Charles III to reign over us. He will he will need to present more tangible and more temporal arguments as to why he should be the person who reigns in the manner that his mother reigned. And he will know that many of those who had the utmost respect for the late Queen are pragmatic monarchists wherever they are in the UK. They are open to change if it seems necessary, but they're not necessarily um, keen to topple a monarch who is able to um, combine diligent inoffensiveness with actions in which the nation can take pride. And so when people looked at the late Queen, they, even if they weren't necessarily enthusiastic monarchists, saw someone who, if she had stood for election as president, would have won their vote and won it in a landslide. They wondered what elected head of state would have behaved with more decorum, with more political skill, with more, um, more clear dedication to the public interest than the Queen had done. But the change which comes with her death means that Prince Charles, as he was then, and King Charles III, as he is now, has to win that respect himself. And that is a significant challenge for him in Northern Ireland, as it is in the rest of the UK. Andrew Madden, you're in London. What's the atmosphere like there? It's a very uh, gloomy sort of day in London. The rain's falling quite heavily now. Um, the streets are actually fairly quiet, um, just outside Paddington Station. Um, but there's a lot of a lot of tourists around, and everyone's looking fairly fairly glum to match the to match the occasion. Um, everything seems to be running pretty smoothly so far in terms of traffic, um, but it's expected to get uh, busier 
as the day goes on and there's crowds gathering the other time outside Buckingham Palace um, ahead of Prince Charles's speech at 6pm. And is, is Buckingham Palace the focal point for people who very, you know, who want to mourn the Queen? I, I'm just wondering, are shops, are bars, are restaurants open? Is the, London continues to function, really? London is continuing to function generally. There's a few shops that have closed as a mark of respect, but it's been left to the uh, proprietor's discretion. Um, and in terms of people at Buckingham Palace, um, a lot of tourists um, are heading there as we speak, because that would be... Um, the main focal point they would know or associate with the monarchy, but as well as as well as tourists there for the historical occasion, for want of a better term, um, there will be obviously a lot of people who will go as part of this public um, commemoration, public mourning. Of course, of course, yes, yes. Um, I think I, I was speaking to you on the uh, train station there, there, and they said they were given the uh, the day off work if they would like to go and and pay the respect to Buckingham Palace. So I think a lot of people will be doing that. Um, a lot of families as well are taking their children up um, to lay flowers and cards and things like that. And generally, when you're speaking to people in London, were they expecting this to happen or has it come as somewhat of a shock? Now, I understand the Queen was 96 years of age, but... I think they, they expected it to uh, to come, but not so suddenly. Um, so it was only a few days ago she accepted uh, accepting the resignation of uh, Boris Johnson and passing over... Uh, the baton to Liz Truss um, but I don't think people expected it this soon but they did expect it um, you know in the coming months I would say And finally Sam does the fact that Stormont isn't f- functioning at the moment does that change anything uh, in terms of what's going to happen regarding the Queen's death and King Charles becoming King? It is a slight complicating factor. I think um, I got a text message from one senior MLA this morning who was asking me that question. The particular difficulty here is that the Northern Ireland Assembly is not functioning and the formal procedure here would be for the Northern Ireland Assembly to meet formally, to discuss their respects for the late Queen, to express their support for the new King, particularly from Unionists. That is not something which can happen without the DUP allowing a speaker to be chosen. So the DUP will either have to decide to relent on that um, that stance that they have adopted until now of not allowing the, um, the Stormont Assembly to function, or we will have to have what happened with Lord Trimble after his passing, where the Northern Ireland Assembly formally did not meet as the Assembly, but we had MLAs meet in the Assembly Chamber with the Speaker presiding in something which technically was not a meeting of the Northern Ireland Assembly, but to all intents and purposes looked and sounded like it was. I don't think there will be an appetite for rival parties to cause political problems for the DUP in this um, regard. And so whatever the technicalities of this, we can expect Stormont to meet over coming days. We can expect very um, sincere and effusive um, really um, cross-party expressions of sympathy for the Queen and from Unionists in particular, expressions of support for the new King. And ironically, the fact that Stormont isn't, isn't functioning at the moment saves Michelle O'Neill's blushes in many ways because she, she won't have the responsibility of welcoming uh, King Charles to Northern Ireland. 
I think this is quite a delicate moment for Republicans, clearly. Um, I think that there there has been a line crossed several years ago by Martin McGuinness, then again by Michelle O'Neill. They have met monarchy multiple times. They've shaken hands. They've, in Martin McGuinness's case, gone in black tie, um, or actually I think it was white tie, to Windsor Castle to a state banquet. Um, those, those are lines that have been passed by senior Republicans, by, in Martin McGuinness's case, a former IRA commander. So this is easier for Michelle O'Neill than it would otherwise have been. But she will also be aware that there are many Republicans in Northern Ireland and across the island of Ireland who have no respect for monarchy, who do not believe that um, that she should be showing any great respect here. And so she will be, I think, carefully trying to balance um, not just the um, desire to show her respect um, on behalf of Sinn Féin voters who do want her to do that, but also to be able to um, say to unionists, we will will show respect for your Britishness if there is a new Ireland, if there is a united Ireland. This is in some ways a challenge for her in that regard, while also not alienating people who really don't want her to do any of this. Sam, Andrew, thank you. This episode of The Bell Tale was produced by myself, Kieran Dunbar. The sound design was by Graham Davidson. The clips were from British Pathé, the Royal Family Channel, the BBC, City News and RTE. You can't beat the sound of a contented cat. That's why veterinary surgeon and natural pet food pioneer John Burns developed Burns Pet Nutrition. Because he knows the positive impact a natural diet has on our beloved pets. And our premium cat food is designed to satisfy even the most finicky eaters. For natural, no nasty, wholesome recipes, choose Burns Pet Nutrition. Available from veterinary clinics and all good pet shops across Ireland.